The Aussie dollar has got lower again. Why? China, basically. Meanwhile, inflation higher than expected, so we'll look at what that means for the RBA next week, or maybe the one after that. And what Philip Lowe had to say as well in his testimony yesterday. Plus, European inflation easing a little. Uh, You can't really say the same thing for US jobs, at least not on the overnight data anyway. It's Thursday, the 1st of June, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the Aussie dollar continues to fall. It's down 0.2% now. It has rebounded a bit. It did get below 64.6 US cents. The pound, meanwhile, up 0.2%, whereas the euro has lost 0.6%, and the Japanese yen has gained 0.3%. So lots of currency moves, which have sort of evened each other out to such an extent that the US dollar hasn't really moved too much at all. It's up less than 0.1% on the DXY index. Bond yields are generally down today, six basis points off 10-year treasuries. The same for the UK, Germany, France. In fact, uh, six basis points off 10 years across much of Europe. Australian 10 years lost eight basis points yesterday, down to 3.6%. On futures overnight, they've lost at least one more basis point on that. And equities down 0.4% for the Dow, 0.3% for the S&P 500. Even the Nasdaq is down 0.6% this morning. Across the board, energy taking the biggest hit. Bigger falls in Europe, 1.7% off the Eurostoxx 50, 1.5% off the DAX and 1% down for the FTSE 100. And commodities, yes, they are going down 2.3% off WTI. It's below $68 now and 1.2% off Brent. Gas prices down even more this morning. So we have to start with this weakened Aussie dollar this morning. Here's NAB's Ray Atrial in Sydney to talk about it. So as I say, it did get down to 64.58. It's bounced back a fair bit now, but we are a long way from the start of the year when, of course, it was pushing up over 71. So I've been asking this question, Ray, for a few days now. Is it China? I think this time we can say it is, can't we? Morning, Phil. It is definitely China. Um, there's a little bit of a, a, a US dollar story, which, um, you know, in terms of uh, Fed policy, et cetera, which we'll get to in a second. But um, I think, you know, first and foremost, um, you know, the latest decline in the Aussie 2, as you say, below 65 cents, 64.58 is the low we've got uh, so far. I think you can lay the blame for that pretty squarely on yesterday's latest PMI numbers from China and what's going on with the Chinese currency. So um, yesterday we had the manufacturing uh, PMI coming in at 48.8, a little weaker than expected, but it's now been sub 50 for two months running. And if you go back to February, um, which was sort of the peak of the post-zero COVID sort of reopening uh, burst of activity. We were 52.6 and the services sector, 54.5, still in absolute terms, a pretty healthy number, but that's down from 58.2 uh, just a couple of months ago. So if you put those together and sort of do a read across for GDP, it actually suggests that um, Q2 GDP could still be a quite a decent number, somewhere between one and a half and and two percent on the quarter. Envy of the world, but um, it's the optics around the uh, you know the fact that we've got these sequential falls in the PMIs and the fact that the Chinese currency, so the US dollar against the Chinese yuan, um, you know when it went up through seven. Um, just about a week and a half ago was the catalyst for, for Aussie breaking down through a long-standing range of sort of just below 66 to just be, just above 68. Um, you know, that got the ball rolling and we've now got the Chinese currency up um, about 7.12. So we had another couple of one weakening against the US dollar. And if you overlay that with the Aussie dollar, it, you, you can't put daylight between those two charts. So um, going back to the beginning, yes, it's mostly about China. 
And looking at the South China Morning Post today, they're reporting on President Xi hosting the National Security Commission there this week. Uh, and they're saying analysts are saying there should be no illusions about the fallout of US rivalry and little hope of a lasting improvement in ties. President Xi talked of choppy waters and dangerous storms ahead. So none of, none of that, even if the trade numbers were, were good, relations aren't strong. None of this is sounding particularly encouraging, is it? No, it isn't. But then to turn it around here, and we've had some pretty positive noises on the trade front, at least, in terms of you know mm. Australia Chinese uh, trade, for example. So we're waiting, uh, hopefully, for some positive announcement um, in relation to uh, barley exports from or resumption or sorry, an abolition of the I think it's an eighty percent tariff on barley exports into Australia. Hay, apparently, we sell over a hundred billion dollars worth of hay to China. Did you know that? No, <laughs> um, I do now. And and there's obviously fairly uh, there's a lot of other areas there. Obviously, wine being being singularly the biggest one that's been excluded from. Uh, from China, I don't think we're necessarily going to see an abolition of the tariffs there anytime soon. But so, from a, from a trade point of view, you know, things aren't necessarily as um, you know as, as negative as we're seeing on those sort of security side. But clearly, it feeds back into sort of negative uh, sentiment. And and you know, whether if, even if China growth rate does pick up, you know, what that might mean in the in the scheme of things. But you know, that said, we are looking for signs out of an upcoming sort of Politburo meeting. Not sure when the next ones are scheduled for some signs that the sort of forceful action that um, that China has promised to ensure that the post-COVID recovery, um, you know, doesn't falter, um, I think we'll need to see some positive mm. signs there. And as I say, Q2 GDP might not be nearly as dire as you know, people are extrapolating those PMI so numbers, hope. have you suggested? Yeah. Indeed, yes. Yeah. So uh, you would have thought, actually, there'd be, uh, so, you know, some hope for the Aussie dollar uh, with the inflation numbers picking up, because, you you know, if you read that through and says, well, does that increase the chances of a rate rise for the RBA? Surely that would be positive for the Aussie dollar. But we saw the monthly inflation read up quite a bit more than expected yesterday, didn't we? Plus, private sector credit growth month on month also up. Construction work in Q1 up. I mean, it doesn't sound like the RBA is going to be able to sit on its hands, does it, at the next meeting? Um, well, they may well sit on their hands in the uh, the next meeting. That's still the, uh, the official NAB view. But but clearly, it really depends which of, of the various numbers that we've had. You could say you point to those CPI numbers up to, what was it, 6.8 from... Um, uh, hang on, I'm reminding myself of the number, 6.8 up from 6.3. That was four-tenths of a percent higher uh, than expected. Mm. Um, you know, we've obviously, we've got house prices uh, have risen further. We get the, we've got the monthly numbers sort of pretty much out overnight, showing what a 1.4% uh, nationwide average rise during the uh, during the month. The Aussie dollar's fallen. Remember, house prices um, re-accelerating or, or, you know, or starting to move up and the weakness yeah. of the Aussie was cited behind the move. Uh, and obviously tomorrow we've got the, the minimum wage and the awards uh, decision handed down from Fair Work Commission. Um, you know, if that awards number has, say, a five in front of it, um, you know, the RBA governor, as we've heard, you know, in reams from him yesterday, is not going to be happy about that while productivity growth is actually negative. Um, so they're the, they're the arguments for saying, what are we waiting for? Let's get on with the job. But against that, you know, we've had a, a rise in the unemployment rate. We've had uh, employment being flat. Um, the wage price index was uh, was pretty benign, at least for, for the first quarter, at least. Now, arguably, that's a bit backward looking. So, um, you know, the market's going into next week with about a sort of one third um, probability of, uh, of a rate rise. Um, you know, you certainly wouldn't exclude it. But, um, you know, there's also reasons to think that they might just skip a, skip a month, um, but give a very strong signal that they don't think they're done. So, um, so what did, did Philip Lowe give much away yesterday? 
he must be so this presumably is going to be his last one he must be looking forward to an easier life where he doesn't have to sit in front of the senate committee and uh, and get hammered from every direction well, he's, but with a, he's, with, he's made pretty clear that uh, if he were offered the chance of a new term he would uh, he'd grab it with both hands so um yeah. but you know there is that little there's a sense that uh, Dead man walking is a, is a too strong a term, but the odds are certainly seem to be stacked against him getting uh, getting reappointed. But um, so, did certain, he say much? Did he give much away? Well, the, 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 I mean, he, the one thing he did say I thought was interesting. He said that one of the reasons that we raised rates last month was to make it abundantly clear that we are serious and determined to, to meet our inflation targets. So, uh, you know, whether that means that that was just a, a marker to say we're serious or saying that we're going to have to do more, I wouldn't read too much into that. But a lot of the, certainly the opening. Um, Marks that he made and the opening exchanges were all about lamenting uh, the lack of productivity and saying that, you know, unit wage costs are basically the drivers of service sector inflation. Service sector inflation is what's really worrying us, um, although arguably in yesterday's numbers, uh, there's some signs that goods disinflation uh, may have run its course for the time being and saying, if we're not going to get productivity increases for what, from whatever reason, just doesn't, I don't care how they occur, but if they don't occur, then wages growth of, of even 3.5% is inconsistent with getting inflation to the midpoint of the 2 to 3% target. So, so it really was a sort of a lot of tub thumping saying, look, it's not my job. You know, I can't do anything about productivity, but you, <laughs> uh, Canberra, can in, in various ways, or some of it has to be at the state level. And he did go on a lot about regulation in the housing market and particularly as far as um, you know approval building uh, approvals are concerned for example and zoning and these sorts of things and saying until we get our act together on that this supply demand imbalance in the housing market is is not going to be uh, ameliorated and that can only mean you know higher rents and potentially higher house prices and we start getting uh, the partials today for gdp so q1 gdp is expected to be flat is that a i mean normally you wouldn't like that but is that a good thing is that is i mean you could argue perhaps that you know if, if it if it's too strong then that's just going to be inflationary so perhaps a nice flat number is is good right now well it's it's a we've got a, the demand has got to be cooled right one way or the other but yeah. uh, you know policymakers almost to a you know, are pretty uniform in their view that, that that is going to require softening in the labour market, you know, as a precondition for getting uh, getting wages growth down. We're going to get latest numbers from the US uh, tomorrow night, obviously, in the payrolls number. Um, but at the moment, and then to say those, those numbers tomorrow are going to be pretty important. So it's not growth per se, it's whether that weak growth necessarily translates into uh you know, into, into lower inflation and, um, and and the route to that is, is probably via the labour market. Yeah, well, talking about the labour market, we had the JOLTS numbers, the job opening numbers uh, for the US. They were expected to fall. They actually rose uh, in the JOLTS numbers overnight. Even uh, as job quits fell, there are more job openings. And then the Fed Beige Book, which is out uh, early this morning, uh, a line on that from Jobs, which says, overall, the labour market continues to be strong with contacts reporting difficulty finding workers across a wide range of skill levels and industries. So they've still got problems with a very tight labour market there. Yeah, there were over numbers there. As you know, the quits rate, which was as high as uh, three, so it's effectively meaning 3% of, of people in jobs um, quitting during the month. That was the high that we had a year ago. And we are down to 2.4, so the lowest in a year. So that's a little bit of an offset to the fact that the jolts numbers back up above 10 million 10.1 million um again though the peaks back in uh, 2022 were around 12 million so we clearly you know jolts is a lot there are far fewer uh, a lot fewer but there are still something like 1.8 uh, job openings per, um, per unemployed person so uh still indicative of a, of a pretty tight uh, 
labour market, to be sure. And in the Beige Book, um, they did say that labour demand you know, did appear to have cooled somewhat and actually noted that was a contrast uh, to the something of a, a contrast to what the jobs status have been saying. But, um, uh, but overall, they're characterising the economy as little changed. So um, I don't think that gives a strong steer as to what the Fed is likely to do in June. But um, in which respect, um, you know, we've had comments from Philip Jeff Jeff Jefferson, who's the Fed vice chair, and Patrick Harker from the Philly Fed, both um, sort of almost nailing their colours to the mask for a pause next week following uh, what uh, Fed Chair Powell had said about 10 days ago. In contrast, you know, uh, Cleveland Fed uh, President um, Loretta Mester is saying that, um, you know, there's no reason, there's no compelling case to pause. So I do, I do think we're going to get a pause in June. That is the NAB view. And the market is, has scaled back its pricing for tightening there from sort of close to 60% to nearer 40%. But it's, it's pretty evident if we get a pause, it's going to be a hawkish pause. And uh, wouldn't be surprising if the likes of Mester actually dissent against a pause in favour of an immediate rise. So you mentioned the ADP employment numbers today were non-farm payrolls on Friday as well. So lots of job numbers for the, and the weekly jobless claims tomorrow as well for the US. Uh, so there's a lot of job data coming out. Also overnight, the ISM manufacturing number and construction spending as well in the United States and the debt ceiling, of course. So this is interesting. I mean, it's, it's passed. It's cleared the House Rules Committee. The vote in the House is going to happen today in the next few hours, presumably, and presumably it's going to be waved through, although one-month Treasury bills, I mean, they came down five basis points. They're still up there at 5.1%. But uh, no, I mean, the, the assumption is that uh, that it is going to pass. It was interesting that, that um, you know, the House Rules Committee only approved uh, the, um, you know, the motion basically to take it to the House, which would probably be the next couple of hours, by seven to six. I think the view was it would be something like mm. 11 to four. So, uh, and we can be pretty sure that certainly a, a good chunk of the, the so-called freedom um, uh, caucus, the, the, the far right um, members of the uh, of the Republican uh, um, House of House of Representatives, are, are likely to vote against it. But there's a strong view that, if necessary, um, you know, a, a fair few Democratic uh, reps will will come to the party. So uh, I'm still not. Um, I'm pretty confident that the thing is going to pass. But as you say, just a little bit of last minute nerves there evident in the in the, in the T bill market. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, you know, you never know how things are going. If you've watched the final of Succession. You never know how things are going to end. Which I have. Yeah. Which I have. Wow. Yeah. And incredible. So you just don't know what's going to happen in the end, do you? Uh, and that might be, hopefully this isn't a case in point. Uh, look, uh, life might be a bit easier for the ECB quickly before we go, because inflation there is slowing month on month in May. Uh, we've had uh, uh, numbers falling for Germany and France. Uh, but, uh, well, Italy rose, and Portugal as well, down 0.7% month on month in Portugal. But actually, Italy rose a bit more than expected. But, you know, France producer price index, that's down 5.1% in a month. German import price is down 1.7%. So there are definitely positive signs that prices, well, maybe have peaked in Europe. We're over the worst of it. Although, of course, you've got to be very careful saying things like that. No, but uh, certainly, you know, apart from Italy, there were some, some good downside surprises there in uh, certainly Germany, France, and, and earlier in Spain. Um, so the, formerly, the market's expecting uh, Eurozone inflation to come down from 7% to 63 you'd have to say, based on the country numbers. 
um, you know, that could be you know closer to six percent rather than six point three. So um, good news there, and, and and not gone unnoticed in the uh, eurozone money markets where we have seen expectations for the peak in the uh, ECB's policy rate coming down a little bit. So there's now slightly less than two further quarter point rate rises priced in. I think it was a little bit over two um, ahead of those national CPI numbers. So a little bit of uh, a little bit of good news there. Unless you're looking at the currency, we're actually taking a little bit of a bite uh, out of the euro dollar exchange rate. So uh, depending on uh, depending on your market or your poison, it was good news. Or well, bad we're still news. getting mixed messages, aren't we, from uh, the ECB? So Muller is there saying, well, he thinks there's going to be a couple more. There's, there are some who still think that there'll be one more after that as well. Uh, and Muller blaming uh, fiscal policy. You know that old chestnut from uh, monetary policy versus fiscal policy. Uh, but anyway, um, we'll see what the eurozone uh, number brings, the inflation number brings today, and of course the account of the last ECB meeting coming today as well. But uh, sure. that's enough for now, I think. Uh, and if you haven't watched Succession, what a brilliant ending that is! No spoilers, no spoilers, no, no spoilers. Spoiler the best bit of, some in the office haven't uh, seen it. Best bit of television ever, <laughs> I reckon. Anyway, uh, good to talk, Red. Catch you next time. See you well. Thanks, Phil. Brilliant script, isn't it? If you haven't seen it, you've got to watch it. It just works on so many levels. Uh, That's it for today. That's the morning call from NAB. I'm Phil Dobby. I am back again tomorrow morning. See you then.